We're in the book of Ezra again. We're in the last two chapters of, of the book of Ezra this morning. And um, as we look at this, and, and we're going to see this as we finish out the book in the last next couple of weeks, um, you know, I find this interesting, really. When you look at this in terms of what's going on in Ezra and what we've seen and what's happened all the way through this journey. If you can remember last time we were with Ezra, we finished off at the end of chapter number 8 and the mission had been completed, as it were. Ezra and the remnant had returned. They'd made the the journey over those months. They'd uh, seen the hand of God upon them and they got to their destination. Um, And and then we get into chapter 9 and 10. And, and, and what the Lord will have us see and what the Lord has had through his uh, you know, Holy Spirit-inspired word um, recorded for us really to me is another proof of actually the divine inspiration of the word of God. Uh, why do I say this? You know, it's, it's been coined, the phrase has been coined many, many times by many different people, but uh, Schaeffer said this, Lewis by Schaeffer said it well, and he said, The Bible is not such a book a man would write if he could, or could write if he would. And, you know, that's the true fact of it. That's the, the, the simple truth. When you read the Bible, and not just pot shot it, not just pull things out and say, you know, this is a book written by men. But when you look from Genesis to Revelation and you read it through, you will see clearly that this is no way a book that was written by men. Because men would write, not write the things that God has had recorded in his word. They just wouldn't put them in there. Because if it was a book written by a human writer and solely by a human penman, then would chapters 9 and 10 make an appearance here? I don't think they would. Because what we're going to see in chapters 9 and 10 is that there's a a, a failure to separate onto the Lord, onto holiness. And there's mixed marriage going on and there's a pollution going on. And that's what's recorded. But it would have been very easy for Ezra to leave it at chapter number 8, wouldn't it? Very easy for him to leave it at the point where everything was rosy. They just returned to Jerusalem. Praise God, they've come back to the place of the name. The temple system had been back in action. Israel was at the top again. They came out of captivity, remember? How long were they in captivity for? 70 years. And now they've reached the pinnacle. They're back in the homeland. Ezra records it up to chapter number 8. But this was a book written by men. Ezra would have left it there. He would have left it there. But God never intended that. You see, the pretty little narrative that humans would like to put forward, that everything's rosy and everything's perfect, is is really put to shame because the Word of God and the Spirit of God records the real truth of what's happening in Jerusalem at that time. And we're going to see in verses 1 and 2 this morning that, that there's a Spirit has been arisen in the people, that they've been convicted, that they've been challenged, that all is not well. And how important is that? That people realize that even when it looks good, even when it looks well, we have to judge things by 
God's standards and not man's standards. It would be very easy for the people of Jerusalem, the leaders of Jerusalem, for Ezra to just turn around and say, well, we're back, we're back in the land, everything's good. And if somebody came along and said, well, actually, there's a little problem here, there's a little problem there, it would be very easy for Ezra in his humanistic side to say, look, just put that to one side, paper over that crack, we're back in the land, the temple is up and running, we are where we should be, everything is good, don't get down with a little negative thing that's happening. That's human thinking, that's human thinking, but God always wants things done his way. And chapter 9 and 10 reveal to us this very simple principle that is the heart of every human. And I'm sure you've experienced this. I know that I've experienced this in my life. But the principle is simply this. That even in the best of times, even in the best of times, sometimes, especially in the best of times, the human heart is prone to wander. I want you to hear that this morning, church. Even in the best of times, when conditions are nigh on all you want them to be, the human heart is prone to wander. It is deceptive. It is deceitful. Who can know it? God can. God can. You see, Ezra, when we leave him from the end of chapter number 8 and we pick up in, in, in chapter number 9, Ezra's been around there for about three months. Three to four months has, has passed, probably, in this period. And Ezra has been out and about. He's been preaching the word of God. He's a good leader. He just doesn't give up because he thinks, oh, well, we've reached Jerusalem. I can take my foot off the gas now. No, he's a good godly leader and he goes about teaching and preaching the word of God and the reality is when the word of God is preached the heart is stirred and something is stirred within the leaders of Israel to realize that something isn't right it may look to all human eyes that the best place they've been certainly in 70 years Remember, they've just come out of the captivity. They're free. They're back in the land. Everything's rosy. But good and godly leaders like Ezra and others are able to see behind all that to what God is looking at. Let's read this morning verse 1 and 2 of Ezra chapter number 9. Verse 1 of Ezra 9. It says, now when these things were done, so again, we've got about four months in here. The princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers hath been chief in this trespass. The reality was that even though they were back in the land, they were still in captivity. Even though they had come out of Babylon, Babylon 
and the associated areas still had its hold on Israel. What had happened? They hadn't separated themselves from the people of the lands. They hadn't separated themselves from the people of the lands. There'd been no separation, and because of that, the holy seed was getting polluted. Remember, God's program for Israel was very specific in the redemption of man. And the seed was to be pure. It was to be kept. The lines were to be kept. And they were being polluted. And these leaders come, they recognize this, probably off the back of Ezra's preaching and teaching. Ezra's just fresh on the scene and he comes in and he's a good and godly leader and he's preaching this truth, this truth of separation, this truth of the holiness of God and the requirement of the holiness of God's people. And there's a stirring amongst the people to say, do you know what? Something's not right. Something's not right. And you know, I wish be to God that there would be more good and godly leaders across this land and people in the congregations and people in leadership that would wake up to the fact that even though maybe the building's full, even though they have money in the bank, something's not right. Something's not right. And it takes courage to stand up and say, do you know what? There's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. But under the teaching and preaching of God's word, God has stirred the people once again, and the leaders come and they say to Ezra, something's not right here. Something has to be done. We haven't separated ourselves from the people of the lands. The, the lines are being polluted. Now, we're going to have a look more so at this in the next couple of weeks as we finish out Ezra and look at chapters 9 and 10. But this morning I want to just focus on this fact and this thought of, of separation and, and what it's on to and what we're called to be separated onto. And it's absolutely a call to be separated onto holiness, onto the Lord. And that takes something. It's more than just, you know, tithing and, and turning up for church. It's, it's a dedication of your life to be a disciple of Christ, to be one of his people. And that takes, takes sacrifice and it takes dedication. Because here's the truth. This is the uh, title of our message this morning. It's taken from Psalm 93 verse 5, which says this, Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. And certainly in an Old Testament context, holiness becomes the house of the Lord. And in a New Testament context, the holiness becomes the people of the Lord. We are the habitation of the Lord now. If we're born again, we have the glory of God within us. And we're to be holy. Turn to 1 Thessalonians for me. Chapter number 4, verse 7. We're called to holiness, people. We're called to holiness. 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4, and verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So holiness is what we're called to. And, and honestly... When we really think about this, this is a high and hard and heavy calling. We don't want to trivialize this. 
Like it's some quick fix that we can just, you know, go through a magic machine and God makes us perfectly holy. We'll never be perfectly holy in this life, but we are called to be holy in this life. And that is an onward, ever-marching, ever-going-forward pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and who we are in him. So that's all well and good. You know, that's practical or spiritual preaching. You know, we're called to be holy. And, and the Word of God has said that, so we can't disagree for, with that. But what does that look like? What does that look like? What does living a holy life actually mean? Now, some of God's saints are going to be squirming this morning. Because the mere mention of living a holy life is putting you to shame right now before your Lord. It's putting me to shame. It's putting me to shame. And I'm in the pulpit. But what does it mean? What does it look like? Well, we're going to have a little kind of topical message this morning. Just think about holiness and its practical outworking in our lives. So here's the first thing that I want to say to you this morning. Holiness is a rejection. It's a rejection to be holy as the Lord is holy, to walk towards and in holiness, means rejecting things in your life. It means cutting things out. It means shunning practices that defile you, that take you away from who God wants you to be, who he saved you to be. If you're saved this morning, remember who you are. And part of remembering who you are is remembering that the Lord has called you onto holiness. And part of that is rejecting things in your life that take you away from that. Turn to Leviticus chapter number 18, verses 1 to 3. Leviticus chapter number 18, and verses 1 to 3. Now we're dealing in the Old Testament Some Old Testament truths And there's a great danger that we just abandon Old Testament Because we live in the age of grace But you know, God's word doesn't work like that His word is eternal All scripture is given by inspiration of God is, is profitable We go to the interpretation We know that here God is dealing with Israel, he's dealing with Moses, but by application we carry it through to the people of God today. It says in verse number 1 of Leviticus 18, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying unto them, I am the Lord your God, after the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, where I bring you from, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances or in their ways, in their statutes, in their principles, whatever way you want to cut that up. Now that's clearly an Old Testament verse to Israel. But it's also for us. If I was to paraphrase that, I would say the Lord spake unto the pastor, saying, speak unto the children of the church, say unto them, I am the Lord your God, after the doings of the world, 
wherein you dwelt, where I have now delivered you from, where I have now taken you out of, you're not to go back to, to live in, to walk on. I have saved you. You're bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It cost me everything to deliver you out of the world. Do not go back into it. Why? Because we're God's people now. We're to be a holy people. And if we're to be holy, we've got to reject some of the things of the world. We've got to reject our old way. Because our old ways defile us. Defile us. We've got to put on the new man. Sacrifice the old man. You know, I'm amazed that and I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to boil this down into a, bringing God down to a simplistic genie in a bottle. But I, I've I've never been so amazed at, at Christians that that you know kind of say, well, God's not answering my prayers. Now God always answers a believer's prayer. It's either no, <laughs> never, or not yet. He always answers it. But I'm always thinking about, you know, believers that say, well, God's not, he's not doing anything in my life. But they never examine their own life before God and wonder and put the creation together that they're not living a life for him. Why would God ever, ever bless them? Now, I'm not saying that you perform and God will give you all that you want. That, don't take that out of context. But if you're not striving to live a holy life, if you're allowing the world to come in and defile you, why would you ever expect God to bless you? Why? If you look at the pattern throughout Scripture, God has always called people to Him. He's always said, come out of that, come away from the world, touch not the unclean thing. You're called on to holiness. Try and live that holy life in and through me. Do what I have for you. And then I will bless you in what you need for what I want you to achieve. Oh, the Christian life is ups and downs and it's this and that. And, you know, I'm, I'm thrown from this and I'm thrown to that and I'm never happy and I'm up and I'm down. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us. Because if we live a life to holiness, be willing to reject those things that defile us and keep us from holiness, then we will never be happy. We'll have moments, we'll have glimpses, but we'll never have true rest in Him. Because when you turn to things that defile you, you turn away from God. This is the whole thing, concept of repentance. And I know it's a change of heart, I know it's a change of mind, but there is, in it terms, a spiritual turning. Because when you look at God and you move closer to Him, you become more holy. Because you reflect Him. We're going to see this as we go on. But it has to start with a rejection. Not out of legalism, not out of trying to earn God's favor, but understanding who you are and who we are as the children of God today. We've got to reject those things that define us. The problem is we've just got too comfortable. Too comfortable, all of us. Too comfortable with the things that define us. 
It's become acceptable. That God's okay with it. God is never okay with sin or sinful practices. Never. Never. He sees it all. We have to reject the things that defile us. So, holiness is indeed a rejection. It's also a reflection. Back in uh, Leviticus, chapter number 19. Leviticus 19, verse 2. Leviticus 19, verse 2. Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So when we really think about this, that our holiness is simply a reflection of His holiness. He is the Holy One. So the more time we spend with the Lord, the more we walk with the Lord, the more we sacrifice our own selfish nature and give over to what God has for us, the more we reflect His holiness. Again, it's that principle I'm talking about. If you live for the Lord, you walk closer and closer and closer to Him. He is the ultimate source of holiness and light. Darkness is this side. You were in darkness before you came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your sin casts a shadow before you. That's what David says in the Psalms. If the source of light is behind you and you're facing that way, all you see before you is your shadow. Your shadow of sin is there. Then there's a day when you turn to God, knowing there's nothing you can do to fix this, and you turn to Him, and you see Him for who He is. And the light of the glorious gospel translates you from darkness into light. You turn to Him. And then you begin this walk of sanctification and the closer you get to him the brighter he gets the more his holiness reflects off you and others see it but when you start to fall back into practices that define you and separate you from God you're turning back to this and you reflect him less and you see more of that holiness is a reflection of God but we can only reflect him if we're looking at him and walking towards him. This is simplistic truth. So on a Sunday, you may come to church and you may look at the Lord and you may see him in his glory. But if you go into the world and just turn your back on him, you're not looking at the Lord. You're looking at your sin that's ever before you. And the further you walk this way, the darker your life is going to get. The darker your practices are going to get. The darker your thoughts are going to get. The darker your feelings are going to get. The answer? Reject. Turn and reflect the glory of God. And the closer you get to him, the purer your thoughts are going to be, the purer your actions are going to be, the happier you're going to be in your own heart. God is going to start to use you in a mighty way. There's not one person here this morning, if they know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, God doesn't want to use for his glory. Not one person. Each and every one of us, we just have to look to him, reject, and then begin to reflect him and his holiness, and then others will see Christ in us. That's what happened, didn't it? When Moses came down off the mountain, what did he reflect? The radiance of God's 
glory. You want to win people to Christ. You want to lead your loved ones to Christ. You need to reflect Christ. Otherwise, they ain't going to see anything else but the same old world that they're living in. Oh, I want to see my loved ones come. It's, it's the greatest plea of my heart. Live a holy life. And they will see Jesus. Holiness is a reflection. Next, holiness is a reaction. We've rejected the world. We've turned to God. We're walking towards Him. We reflect in His glory. And then there's a reaction. We need to start caring for each other, for the poor, for the stranger. Leviticus 19 again, verses 9 and 10. Leviticus 19, verse 9 to 10. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shall thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest, and thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shall thou gather every grape of the vineyard. They shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So this people that have been called to be a holy people, were then called to care for the poor and the stranger. They were to leave uh, these corners of their field and leave crops on them so those that were poor, those that were hungry, those that needed could come and they could, they could reap from what the Lord had ultimately provided to the people of God. They should leave them for the poor and the stranger, the one that is outside of the camp of Israel. Because holiness is a reaction. It is. When you see God, you've got to see others as God sees them. And you've got to try and develop a heart of compassion for others. And, and some people are, 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 are naturally compassionate. And it flows from them. For some of us, we have to work at it. I'm one of those. I'm not going to lie about it. I've had to work at it. And God is doing that work. I'm more compassionate now than I've ever been. Claire always said, my heart's dead. I'm a cold stone heart. Well, now it's got bits of softness in it. I've shed a tear in the last four years, once or twice. But God is doing that work. But, you know, we have to see people as God sees them. We have to see the church as God sees it. And we have to see the outside world as God sees it. They're lost in their sin. And we've got to love them, not, not, not dilute the message, not... not just uh, try and adapt it to fit. We've got to tell them the truth in love, but we've also got to love them. And that we've got to reach out to the, the community. Not just walk past them. Say, hello, unholy one. I'm off to church where I can be holy. No, we have to reach out. Now, the church is not for that. Church is for the people of God. But the people of God are for the world. We're to go out there. And be salt and light. And you know, that's part of holiness. It is reacting to the world. You know, there's this concept that's gone through the ages of church history that to be holy, you have to separate yourself from everything that is unholy. And in terms of our actions and our thoughts and our deeds, yes, we do. But there's this concept where we have to live this monastic lifestyle. We have to become monks and nuns and just live up on a, on a holy hill and just perfect our holiness. But if you're doing that and your holiness doesn't have a practical application to it, then it's not holiness. 
It's not holiness. Unless our theology is applied, this is the word the Lord has, has given me in my heart in terms of what we should do as a church. We have to practice applied theology. And part of this is recognizing there has to be a rejection in our lives of things that defile us. There has to be a reflection of Christ in our life and that should produce a reaction of what we do, how we do it and who we do it to. We should be concerned about the poor and the stranger. We should be concerned for truth and justice in the world. We shouldn't be silent on these things. Turn to Leviticus again, chapter 15 and 16. Or chapter 15. Verse 15 and 16 of chapter 19, sorry, of Leviticus. Verse 15, you shall not do unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honour the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shall I judge thy neighbour. Thou shalt not go up and down as a tailbearer among thy people, neither shall I stand against the blood of thy neighbour. I am the Lord. So there should be a concern for righteous judgment. There should be a concern for truth, and there should be a concern for justice. And part of our holiness is we should be moved to these things. You know, the uh, abortion movement. Sometimes we think, well, that's so disconnected from, from, from the church. It's a separate thing. But it really should be in the heart of the church's people. We should be defenders of truth and justice. Now, when, say, we all go into politics and we start to uh, move our focus from what we are, but part of holiness and, and part of this reaction um, really is looking at these things and seeing these things and, and speaking up for those that can't speak up for themselves and not being afraid to speak the truth in love. And to tell the community and to take it to the community and say, you know, I don't agree with these things and here's why. You know, a lot of times people, people are so ignorant that they've never heard the other side of the, the coin. Well, why, don't, why don't you believe in abortion? Surely it's every woman's right. Well, let me tell you why, what I believe and, and why I believe it and, and let's talk about it. A lot of people haven't even heard it. They just hear what the world wants them to hear. Constantly pumped out. And the world isn't going to change its tune. For those of you that are waiting for the world to fall in line with God's message and start to propagate it, you're on a fool's errand there. It's never going to happen. The world is at enmity with God. The world belongs to the enemy of God for the time being. So who's going to take the message of truth and justice from a biblical point of view? Because that's the only unpolluted view of truth and justice. It has to be us, doesn't it? Holiness is a reaction. There's a practical side to it. To love one's neighbour, to love each other, to love truth and justice. And to, to, in the right way, at the right time, pronounce that truth. And pronounce that justice. Always pointing back to the God of all justice and the God of all truth. So holiness in the practical application of it, it's a rejection. Reject and practice it defile us. It's a reflection as we turn to the one who is holy, that we reflect him in our lives. 
then it should produce a reaction that we do go about the business of being God's people. And then finally, I want to end with this because in case you're in any doubt, I want to say this. Holiness is a requirement of God's people. It's a requirement of God's people. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 78. Leviticus 20, verses 7 to 8. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy. For I am the Lord your God, and ye shall keep my statutes and do them. For I am the Lord which sanctify you. Now again, somebody will say, oh, it's Old Testament, Pastor. We're not under the law. <laughs> Let's turn to John chapter 14, shall we? Before we say any more about holiness as a requirement, I just want to read some, some verses of Scripture from the New Testament. John chapter 14, verse 15. The Word of God says this, If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21 of the same chapter. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he, we will come unto him and make our abode with him. 1 Peter, chapter number 1, verse 15 to 16. Peter chapter 1 verse 15 but as he which hath called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation your way of life because it is written be ye holy for I am holy this call to holiness isn't an Old Testament principle it isn't a New Testament principle it's a God principle. To be the children of God, we are to be holy. It is a requirement for the people of God to pursue a holy life. Now, let me ask you this question. You don't have to raise your hand. But if I was to ask for a raise of hands this morning, who struggles with personal holiness in this room? I'll be straight up there. I'll be straight up there. I'll be straight up there. We all struggle with it. You know, the command's clear. The necessity's clear. Why do we struggle with it so much? You know, people say, oh, it's Bible reading I struggle with. It's prayer time. Personal holiness is the center to all of that. If your walk towards the Lord is right, the Bible reading and the prayer will be a natural thing that comes. The problem is we want to do the Bible reading, we want to do the prayer, but we ignore the state of our lives before the Lord, our personal holiness. Now I want to caveat and say this morning there is no point where you can reach perfect holiness in this life. That is false teaching. To even say that means that we can measure the holiness of God. 
Because if we are to attain perfect holiness, that means we put a measure on it, doesn't it? If there's no measurement, you can't attain it. But to say that we can achieve perfect holiness in this life is to say this is how holy God is. And for a human being to turn around God and measure him up and say, hey, this is how holy you are, is the biggest nonsense, utter tripe, as some of my pastor friends would say, I've ever heard. Who is man that they can measure the holiness of God? God is infinitely and eternally unimaginably holy. We will never reach perfect holiness in this life. But when we meet the Savior face to face, we will reach perfect holiness in Him. But in this life, it's a battle towards that. Why do we struggle so much? Because it is essential to your Christian life. It's essential to everything you do in the Lord. It is, you can't separate this. This is the foundation. If every believer today were to focus on their personal holiness before the Lord, rejecting those things that are defiling them, reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ in their life, reacting to who they are and who is in them and reaching in the world, we would see a different place in the church. We'd see a different place in our communities. See, Bible plans, prayer programs, fasting alone as, as a church thing is never going to achieve what we want for the church and what God wants for the church. But to look at holiness as a requirement, personally and corporately, will fire us to where we need to be in the Lord. It's difficult. It's hard. That means it's worth it. That means it's worth it. Why do you think the devil does everything he can to ruin this aspect of your life? Why? Because it's all important to your life in the Lord. That's why the devil will use everything to get a grip of you, to get a hold of you, to get your heart and take you away from the Lord. And we've got to fight this battle because we are called to be holy. So that's the call. It's a call to reject all that's unholy. It's a call to reflect a holy God. It's a call to react in a holy way to an unholy world. And it's a hard and heavy call. But it is all achievable in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he will not force this upon us. He wants this for us. He wants us to walk in him. He wants us to reject these things. But this is where our free will comes in. And we have to make a choice. What's your choice going to be this morning, church? Is it going to be you and your way? Or is it going to be God and his way? Are you going to respond to the call to holiness? That means stepping up before the Lord to get serious about the things of God. As our brother Brian says, and I've said this before, but I love this. Let's get serious about the business of God. How do we do that? We walk in the call.
Beloved, God has not called us unto unholiness or uncleanness. He has called us unto holiness. Holiness becomes thine house, saith the Lord. I wonder this morning, are you going to respond to the call to holiness? Honestly, openly, earnestly give your heart to the Lord and see what he'll do with a holy heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. Lord, I thank you for Ezra and his godly leadership. I thank you, Lord, that the word of God is indeed your word. It's not man's book, it's your book. I thank you, Lord, that you've put chapters 9 and 10 in Ezra to just remind us that even though things might have been going well for Israel, all wasn't well. That they hadn't separated themselves, they hadn't pursued holiness and were defiling themselves. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us, each and every one of us, to honestly, openly examine ourselves before you. Lord, this is not legalism. So often when messages like this are preached, the people that run from this say, oh, it's legalism, it's legalism. It's not legalism. It's the word of the living God. We've been called unto holiness. We're to be holy as you're holy. You said, Lord, if we love you to keep your commandments, we're to walk towards you and not away from you. That's not legalism. That's a Christian life. Lord, I'm so thankful for grace that you saved us and there's nothing we could do to earn it or deserve it. But Lord, often I feel that that truth of grace has been abused by each and every one of us. Lord, I confess that I've been an abuser of grace so many times in my life. Lord, I want to live a life for you because I love you and you've loved me. So Lord, I pray that would be the prayer of each and every one of our hearts this morning. That we would look to love you and simply walk towards you. And in doing that, that we would reject the things that defile us. That we would reflect your holiness in our lives. And Lord, that would produce a reaction in us, how we see others, how we live in this world. Because Lord, we absolutely clear, it's a requirement of God's people to walk towards the God of all holiness. In Jesus' name.